If you want, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 8. We'll begin there in a few minutes, not right away, but in a few minutes. I want to discuss two major turns of event from the last week. Of course, one of them being Friday's Supreme Court decision. I must address that. It bugs me anytime I see a Barna research poll that says, uh, you know, 90% of pastors won't touch politics from the pulpit. Uh, pray for pastors and ministers in general. They are humans too, and they have egos, and they have self-esteem issues, and they fear people's opinions. And uh, especially here in America where we've been taught to win friends and influence people, and especially after 40 years of the seeker-friendly heresy that Rick Warren propagated out of California where he taught pastors to compromise to reach the non-customer. And because of that, it's popular to compromise so that you don't suffer persecution. And a lot of American churches are built on a fear of persecution, a fear of that kind of suffering. And so because of that, pastors pull punches. Pastors don't even get in the ring sometimes. We've turned uh, the gospel in the last 30 years to nothing but philosophical, motivational, moral deism. All it is is a bunch of feel-good. We've, we've tapped into the Bible to make self-help sermons. We don't even really preach the gospel anymore. And so I've never had issues telling people how it is, and so I won't start today uh, pulling punches. It's why our church doesn't run a 1,000 people, because I offend folks even in the offering or the announcements. And I, I'm proud of that. Not that I hurt people, but that I don't bend for some stranger's opinion. Amen. The Lord dealt with me about that about 10 years ago when our services started getting harder on Sunday mornings. And I said, Lord, you see all the visitors we have? They don't ever come back. Why can't I preach hard on Sunday night? Why do I got to sling the heat Sunday morning? Because I know how to be led by the Holy Spirit. I know how to quench the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Lord dealt with me about Gideon's water. He said, I'll bring them, and you take them down to the water, and I'll sort them out for you. Okay. And then he said this to me. He said, would you rather them come for six months, make friendships among your members, then they find out who and what you are, and then they leave and take people with them? I said, no, I don't want that. He said, then just keep preaching hard on Sunday mornings. So I hadn't really cared since then. Actually, even though it sounds a little sadistic, I kind of smile when the visitor gets up and leaves during announcements. Because I think, really? You were that soft. That, that right there hurt you. That right there said, this guy's a jerk and I'm leaving. That right there you said, I disagree so much I'm going to get up and leave. When's the last time you left a dirty movie, you pervert? When's the last time you got up and left the, the trailers because they were demonic or perverted? You won't do that, you hypocrite, coward. But you'll get up and leave a church before you even hear what the Word has to say. Amen. So let me just touch on Roe v. Wade real quick. Uh, that course decision was handed down Friday. We knew it was coming because of some leak. And uh, they, I don't know the political motivation behind the leak, but it was heavily speculated for whatever reason that maybe it would change the conservative judge's opinion. Because we know right now if you, if you disagree with the woke, progressive, demonized crowd, they'll burn you to the ground, literally. They will burn your town, your house, your children, your uh, pregnancy crisis center, your church. That's, that's how woke, demonized people operate. They're of their father, the devil. Don't ever be proud of being called woke. That's a demonic term. Don't ever let anybody say they're woke about you. Now, we're not interested in that. We're interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Roe v. Wade was overturned Friday, as you're probably fully well aware. And all that does 
is turn the decision-making of abortion back to the states. That's all that does, which is where it was to begin with. And so now, of course, we have our progressives, uh, those that love to burn things to the ground and vandalize other people's property. They're calling for a war. They're calling for rifles to be brought at these protests. And uh, all these folks are wanting to crowd the Supreme Court or some state houses and firebomb them. And that's not called an insurrection. Apparently, that's called a peaceful protest by the woke, retarded media. But can you imagine? I saw this as a meme, but it's fitting. It's a, memes are always conservative because there's a lot of truth in them. And truth can be summarized very succinctly. But can you imagine being offended that you can't kill a baby you don't have in a state you don't live in? Can you, be, can you imagine being so deluded in your mind as a progressive that you want to burn a federal building to the ground because you can't kill a baby you don't have in a state you don't live in? That's the, more, the, 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 the insanity that we're dealing with in our current generation. And yet part of this attitude is a curse upon our nation. I believe wholeheartedly that we are under the divine judgment of God. I wrote a massive curriculum uh, a year or two ago about divine judgment, and you can biblically, theologically break down judgment into passive judgment and aggressive judgment. Passive judgment is God begins to remove his presence and things start falling apart. His presence is pure life. His presence brings organization. His presence brings blessing. His presence brings safety and peace. And when you turn your back on God, as our nation has done at full throttle since the seeker-friendly movement hit, when you turn your back on God, his presence begins to wane because he's no longer wanted. And when his presence lifts, darkness rushes in. And what we're seeing are the children of darkness who have been parented under parents who don't care for God. That's passive judgment. Active judgment is uh, lightning bolts and she bears and the ten plagues of Egypt. That's active. That is God smiting uh, King Herod and him dropping dead and giving up worms. That's God killing Ananias and Sapphira in the church. That's active judgment. What we're under is passive judgment. Likewise, not all judgment is bad. There is a judgment that rewards and promotes. So there's a passive judgment that the more you serve God, the more his presence comes upon you, the more your life prospers and, and benefits and blesses. And you have a beautiful marriage and beautiful children. Your career is successful and you have influence. And that, that wasn't active. That wasn't overnight. It's just the presence of God coming upon a family who refuses to bend their knee at compromise. And the more the presence of God is upon your life, the more things line up for it. This is biblical from Genesis to Revelation. But there is active judgment as well that's positive where the Lord says, be promoted be an apostle. Go to the mission field. I'm going to give you a business, or the Lord heals you, or the Lord uh, gives a, a breakthrough in your life. That is active, positive judgment. So anyway, I wanted to show you real quick. I, this is part of the curriculum I wrote on uh, divine judgment. And I, I looked at, I've got this massive chart I built from uh, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, where they list the curses that will come upon any people who turn from God. There are 32 verses given in Leviticus 26. There are 53 verses of curses given in Deuteronomy 28. So I'm going to read to you what these are because I line them up and just tell you where we're at in America real quick, and then I'm going to go on to something else I want to discuss this morning. Uh, so Deuteronomy 28 says that madness and astonishment of heart will come upon a people. And right now America is over 30% mentally ill. Depression, anxiety, mental illness, madness, astonishment of heart upon any people that walk away from God. Our nation is one-third clinically mental, 
ill. Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 says the same thing. Your enemies will eat the fruit of your cattle and your land, leaving you nothing. And so trade wars, shrinking GDP, national debt, 20, at 26 trillion, unemployment through the roof. Now we have, we're in a recession or stagflation. Our economy's in the tank, no matter what. The talking head coming out of the press corps tells you, I don't know, have you noticed your prices going up? Yeah, we're, my wife and I are already praying for you guys that you'll have wisdom and God will pr prosper you, that you'll be able to stay ahead of this and it not destroy you, especially now that the heat is here. Your utility bill will be up, your gas bill is up, your grocery bill is up. And I don't care who the moron is talking for the president. Oh, there's nothing wrong with our economy. You're an idiot. We're not that stupid. You could have fooled us a couple months ago, but not today. This is the curse. You have nothing left to the provision of your land. For any nation that leaves God, your economy will collapse. Children will be given to another people, and you shall serve your enemies. That's a curse promised to any people that leave God. Well, right now, the progressive movements in our schools try to take our children away from us. It is a core Marxist doctrine to remove your children away from your influence. This is why homeschooling has exploded and private schooling has exploded, because we've learned that public schooling is Marxist and woke and demonic. The teachers aren't. They're doing the best they can. But I just came from Seattle. The teachers out there are not good. And the agenda is demonic. And have you noticed this round of Pride Month has been all about drag queens in every school? For those of you that voted Democrat, I forgive you, but your party wants to put drag queens in every school because they think children should be exposed to drag queens. Do you want drag queens around your kids? Deuteronomy 28 says, uh, only, you'll only be oppressed and crushed always, and you'll be mad for what you see with your eyes. Leviticus 26 says, the pride of your strength will be broken. And the, the reciprocal of that here in America is that American exceptionalism has been declining for decades, and now we have a whole generation that are ashamed to be Americans, even though we have millions of people coming to our nation every year proud to be Americans. You never appreciate what you have. Um... Smitten by the sword, or Ezekiel says the sword will come upon you. Uh, that's inner city violence, domestic violence, shootings in every direction. Uh, we're, we're seeing that. Pestilence, HIV, COVID, monkeypox. Um, smitten by your enemies, we have to, uh, uh, terrorism on domestic soil. Parents, this is what Roe versus Wade is all about. Parents, even the delicate woman will eat her children Leviticus 26 says, you will consume your own children. America currently aborts about 4,000 babies a day. That is us consuming our own children. I want you to understand that what we're under is judgment. And it's partially because the church has lost its savor. The church is no longer the moral compass of the nation. The church no longer influences. In the 80s, I grew up, was born in the 70s, and I grew up in mega churches. So I was raised Southern Baptist, grew up in mega churches my whole life. It, this was the smallest church I'd ever been to when I came here in college in 95. We were about three or 400 then. I had just come from a several hundred, maybe almost a thousand member church out in Seattle. Uh, before that was a two or 3,000 member Baptist church in Knoxville that was at one point 9,000. Now they're back to four or 5,000. And before that, we were raised in a Baptist church in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which was also a very large church. Um, the church has lost its savor. In the 80s, it became very popular for churches to build family life centers and become unnecessarily islands unto themselves. We were not interested in going in and affecting culture 
or standing our ground. We just wanted to enjoy Reaganomics and middle-class prosperity. It was the generation of the yuppies and, and get rich or die trying. Get your BMW and, and get your little arm candy wife and then go move to the burbs, the suburbs, and buy a house as big as you can. It was the time of the McMansion and money, 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 money. Greed, 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 greed. That was the flavor of the 80s. The church was caught up in all that as well. We lost our savor, and we're under this curse because the church pulled back. Also in the 80s is when the seeker-friendly movement began to arise, and Rick Warren, among others, taught the church to pull the punches and tailor all your services, not for God. Tailor your service for the visitor, and be afraid if you offend them. So we were discipled. Now, it wasn't me, thank God, because I was raised holy under my fathers in the faith who never bent a knee to compromise or numbers. The churches were taught to not preach the gospel if it offended someone who was visiting. Because they're quote-unquote seekers. And if they're seeking, you should give them, not God, because God might offend them. Give them a different version of God. Be God's, what do you call it, advisor. Be God's image consultant. You know, God, you're really hard. You're really mean. That turning people to pillars of salt, that doesn't sell well today. That killing Ananias and Sapphira in that worship service, that doesn't sell well today either. How about we just focus on John 3.16 and make you all about love, according to our definition of love, post-hippie love. Lord, you need an image consultant. You need a makeover, and I'm just the man to do it for you. So I don't care what you think about my services, Lord. Let me help you. Let me be your comforter, Lord. Let me be your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let me be your advisor, Lord. But remember, Corinthians says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he might advise him? <laughs> That was the seeker-friendly movement beginning in the early 80s. So no wonder we're under this curse because the church has lost its savor. We have a whole generation of people who don't even know God, but they go to church every service. They think church is about a skinny jean concert with lights, tattoos, septum studs. Yeah. So we're unfortunately falling apart. One of the promises of Deuteronomy is your population will decrease. America's birth rate is decreasing. I think of states like California that are so pro-gay and they're so pro-abortion, they have to have immigration because their population, their natural population's imploding. And uh, most folks are concerned. America's birth rate has decreased. We are not on par. If it weren't for immigration, we would not be growing as a civilization. But that's part of the curse because we don't appreciate life anymore. We've left the God of life, and so we have no life one of the other promises from Deuteronomy 28, 43 is that foreigners will rise above you. In America, immigrants have the highest per capita income. I don't know if you knew that. We're taught whites have it. Nope, immigrants have the highest per capita income. If this nation is so racist, how come the immigrants have statistically the highest capita per income? It's actually East Indians. East Indians have a medium income of about $95,000 a year. Immigrants. So you can't tell me we're systematically racist when folks who are brown can come in here and make more money than white folks who've been here for a couple hundred years. Now, we forgot about this thing called a work ethic. You mean work prosperous? That's what God said. And all labor there is. So maybe your poverty is due to your laziness. I'm sorry if I quote the Bible. Does that offend you? Did you forget where you are? Did you forget who I am? Uh, one of the final curses is you'll be given no assurance of life. Americans are plagued by hopelessness. Amen. So uh, I think it's ironic that you have all these 
ignorant young ladies protesting and they want to tell the Supreme Court, you have blood on your robes for this decision. And I think, <laughs> you just said, let the states make the decisions because we're a democratic republic and we believe in states' rights. And the, ro the robes have blood on them, but those aborting the babies don't have blood. I blame the churches for all of this because we've lost our salt and we've lost our savor. We need to return to the scripture and stand for what is right. Now, obviously, I don't care what you think because I just discussed all that, and I offend any one of you any given moment of any given service, and you still come back because you realize you need God, and where else are you going to go? So to change gears here, I want to address doctrinal issues that have been pronounced recently. This is, I don't mean this to come across as a dig on the Southern Baptist Convention, but I have to quote their newest resolution they just passed two weeks ago. I was raised Southern Baptist. Most of my closest friends are Southern Baptist ministers. I would say some of the ministers I respect the most are Southern Baptist. But what I want to do is uh, I want to walk through one of their doctrinal statements because in their efforts to distance themselves from heresy, they codified heresy. And that's why we have to be students of God's word, because what they're trying to distance themselves from is accurate. But in saying what they're distancing themselves from, they come across as ignoramuses and heretics themselves. So I was going to try to do this anonymously and not say what denomination it was, but it's just too hard to do. And I would slip up preaching and say it anyway. So this is not a dig at the SBC. It's a dig at this resolution. And we'll go through it. I've got it printed off. I found the transcript of it. Um, I was raised Southern Baptist. My parents were still Southern Baptist. My first mission trips were with the Southern Baptists. They're the, probably the greatest soul-winning denomination America has ever produced. They are imploding as a denomination, just like all the denominations are. It will only be a matter of time before there's not much left to the SBC. Everybody sees this and observes this, even themselves. To be a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, your individual church just submits, and it can withdraw at any point. It's not like the Methodist, where the Methodist denomination owns the building. All the SBC churches are independent, but they choose to join the coalition. That is the convention. It's how it works. I'm not an expert on all their bylaws, but that's loosely how it works. So what I want to talk about is their resolution uh, condemning the prosperity gospel. And uh, I, I, know, I understand exactly what they're trying to attack. But let's read this real quick, and then we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures, because what they end up committing heresy against is the atonement. And that's dangerous. So I'm going to throw this up here so you know I'm not making this up. So 2022 annual meeting in Anaheim, California, the prosperity gospel resolution. Thankfully, it's non-binding because I wouldn't want to be stuck to this. So it says, whereas the prosperity gospel is the belief that Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death grants believers health, wealth, and the removal of suffering, sickness, and poverty. So that right there, I would heavily amend. Because as we know, and I will look at this morning, the atoning work of Christ on Calvary's cross does provide provision and does provide healing. And if you want to reject that, then don't get a job and don't go to the doctor. And we can debunk it very quickly by saying, wherever Christianity has gone for 2,000 years, those civilizations have prospered. And if you look at the third world poverty rate, it's always in pagan nations. Civilization followed Christianity. Prosperity, innovation, ingenuity followed Christianity. 
Now, what they're trying to do is distance themselves from the heresy that we understand as Christian television. We understand there are abuses to doctrines. You know, we could use the example, we believe in the doctrine of submission, right? Submit, wives submit to your husbands. Submit to those in the power and authority. Are there abuses to that doctrine? Absolutely. Some of you have abused those doctrines by telling your wife what to do and mistreating your kids. That doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We come back and balance the doctrine. We teach it from the biblical perspective with the biblical heart. So let's keep reading. Whereas the prosperity gospel distorts biblical generosity. I will agree with that. And prosperity gospel preys on the most vulnerable. I will agree with that. I answered phone calls for a Christian television station. I witnessed that firsthand. Whereas the prosperity gospel solely blames people for their own sickness due to lack of faith. I would debate that, but I understand what they're trying to encapsulate and corrupts a biblical understanding of suffering. Now, I will disagree with that because we're going to discuss what is biblical suffering. What are the sufferings of Christ? That's really simple to define. What did Christ suffer? Persecution. What else? Betrayal. What else? He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He was martyred. Would those not be Christ's sufferings? Did he ever lack? Was he ever sick? How do we make that jump? There's about 15, uh, about 11 verses that talk about the sufferings of Christ, the afflictions of Christ. They all deal with persecution. But defraudment. There are seasons where Paul says, I suffered lack, but they didn't last. Because then Epaphroditus would show up with an offering. The Philippians would show up with an offering. The Thessalonians would show up with an offering. So yeah, there's, there's ebb and flow of this thing. Anyway, next slide. Whereas scripture warns us to guard against false teaching, to beware false uh, prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, and to guard the integrity of scripture. Now therefore be it resolved that the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Anaheim, California, June 14th or 15th, 2022, in accordance with sound doctrine and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, denounce the teaching of the prosperity gospel. Now here's the concern is they denounce that healing and provision are in the atonement. That's what's dangerous. We denounce the teaching of the prosperity gospel and be it further resolved that God and God alone is our highest good and our supreme treasure. Absolutely. Not health, wealth, or the removal of sickness. And be it finally, next, resolved that God and God alone is our, uh, excuse me, that our confidence is in our central, our eternal inheritance purchased through the work of Christ and is guaranteed by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So unfortunately, there are some good things in that resolution. It's not a statement of doctrine. It's a resolution that passed unanimously with very little discussion trying to doctrinally pinpoint a heresy and then shelter their people from it. In doing so, they only muddied the waters even worse. Because I guarantee you, when you ever go to an SBC convention and you see 10,000, they're called messengers, 10,000 representatives there, they're all healthy and they're all pretty wealthy. So I think we need to be careful, especially living here in America, with all of our provision, medical technology. I think we have to clear some things up before we start denouncing things that really for the SBC, they're on the outside of the word of faith, prosperity, gospel movement, don't, not understanding the nuances that are there in contained. Now, I will tell you, there are horrific abuses 
with Christian television and prosperity teaching. It's consuming Africa. It's consuming Latin America. We created it. We exported it. And it's hell on wheels. But like the doctrine of submission, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because we're going to look at scriptures now that more than way affirm God is a God who supplies our needs. In fact, we just did a whole vacation Bible school about our God who was a God of more than enough. He supplies our needs because he's a God who was a father who wants to take care of his kids. And there is more than ample evidence. Honey, how many scriptures do we have? My wife and I have a prayer card of healing scriptures that we pray regularly. And on that one index card, five, five by eight or five by seven, hold that card up, honey. This is our prayer card. She, 500, how many? 541 healing verses on that one card. So you want to tell me there's no healing in the atonement? I think that makes you a heretic. Furthermore, if there's not any healing available for us, don't you ever go to your medicine cabinet, you hypocrite. Don't you ever take your baby to the ER, you hypocrite. If God doesn't want us healed, if he just wants us to learn something from, from the brokenness of our body, then you just sit there, get your pen and paper out, and learn. <laughs> Except that, that's called child abuse and neglect, and you will rightfully go to jail for it. So we're going to look at plenty of scriptures. You should know it because you're Bible students. Isaiah 53 is like the biggest, most glaring messianic prophecy concerning the Lamb of God. Amen. And that by his, we were given health insurance, given Advil. Now, I'm all for medicine. Man, take it if you need it. I'm all for fighting the battle. Do whatever you got to do to keep on marching. But to say there's no healing in the atonement is blasphemy. Amen. It is heresy. There are sufferings we are to endure. We'll look at those too. I may go a little long this morning. Hadn't seen all of you Sunday morning folks, because some of you don't show up on Wednesdays. Hadn't seen you Sunday morning folks in two weeks. Kind of missed you. Want to adjust your soul. Here's my other concern for the SBC. They are imploding. They are dissolving. They are infiltrated by a lot of pro-gay stuff now. There's a lot of famous SBC folks that are uh, pro-LGBT, gay-affirming, and they're getting into the woke thing now, too. It'll only be a matter of time before it completely dissolves, and the independent Baptist churches will have to move out and be their own thing, or maybe a new denomination will arise out of it. They are too flippantly <clears throat> passing these resolutions. Anybody know anything about the Council of Trent? Probably other than the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. The Council of Trent is probably the most fa famous ecumenical church council in church history. Okay, I take that as a no. So you're not aware of the Council of Trent, named after the place that took place there in Italy. Uh, it was the Catholics' answer to the Protestant Reformation. And it's when they came together to figure out what do we believe as opposed to what the Reformation is saying we believe. And so they were trying to create doctrinal statements to cut off what they thought was heresy coming from Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. And so whereas the Southern Baptists meet for a couple days once a year, the Council of Trent didn't take place over a weekend. It didn't take place over a month. The Council of Trent began in 1545 and lasted 18 years to resolve 17 doctrinal points. This resolution was discussed for a couple minutes, one tweak to add suffering into the resolution and then passed unanimously. But that's American short attention span 
culture getting into the church. Now, I'm not saying I affirm the doctrine of the Council of Trent, but I want you to know how the church who was serious did things. Same with the Council of Nicaea and the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. They didn't do this willy-nilly. They didn't just say, we disagree. And so um, 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 they took their time to hash it out doctrinally. And even for those doctrines we don't agree with on the Catholics, they'll give you scripture for why they believe it. And they'll stand by their scripture. You and I might have 30 more scriptures why we disagree with it, but at least they're going to back it up with some scripture. Amen. Hebrews 8. Are you there? I swear I told you to turn like 20 minutes ago before I began my introduction. Hebrews 8. This is not attack against the SBC. It's a non-binding clause, a non-binding resolution, because they know not everybody within the denomination believes it. Most of the folks who get sick don't believe it because they want to be healthy. Most of those folks who are having trouble paying their mortgage don't believe in the prosperity aspect either because they want more money. I, I will say, I've been to SBC, Southern Baptist, my whole life. They're the richest churches I've ever been in. Had the biggest facilities I've ever been in. I was in an SBC church once. I walked in and they had cameras, and I'm not against television ministry, but they had a camera that looked like it belonged on the prices right. It was so big, it was $750,000. I told the guy, I said, he said, are you into television, sir? I said, I am. He said, are you looking at new cameras? I am. I didn't tell him that our cameras are $800 and smaller than the viewfinder on his price is right. Jumbo scope. The tripod alone was $75,000. And the sanctuary had eight of these cameras for a pastor I've never heard of. I don't, I don't disparage any of that, but I, I think you want to be careful living in glass houses. Amen. I, I like uh, luxury watches. I just know them. I like the mechanics and the engineering behind them, which is why I kind of follow them. And, you know, I'm, the, I'm not a luxury watch guy. I do have some nice watches, but they're not luxury watches like that. But I did see a famous SBC guy on the cover of one of their magazines. And it's a good looking photo. He looked like he's probably his mid 50s, handsome guy, posing, had his arms crossed, and he had on a Panerai which is, a, yeah, Steve knows what a Panerai is. It's an Italian submarine watch. It's about an $8,000 watch. I don't have a problem with him having an $8,000 watch. I grew up with a Southern Baptist pastor that had a bass boat. It's about a $25,000 boat. He called it the visitation. So if anybody asks where he's at, he's out on the visitation. <laughs> I just think if you're going to live in a glass house, be careful using the bathroom. Hebrews 8, 6, let me just throw this out there. But now hath Jesus obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So when we talk about provision and healing, we're talking about the promises of God. And if you know your Old Testament, and you should, because we're not antinomianists who reject the law, we know that the Old Testament promised stubborn, stiff-necked Jews both provision and healing. 
We have a new living and better covenant right now with better promises. We need to understand that there's a difference between the right now covenant and the future inheritance. The resolution talks about our inheritance that's coming. Praise God, we have an inheritance that's coming, one you have to qualify for and maintain. The reward of the inheritance, the Bible talks about it, warns us many times in the New Testament to be careful lest anybody deprive you of that reward of the inheritance. It's something that can be lost. The inheritance is future tense. Paul also said those that live wickedly have no inheritance in the kingdom. And it is an inheritance as we understand an inheritance to be. It's what we have coming towards us. The Holy Ghost has been given as the earnest of that inheritance. So we affirm the inheritance. But the question is, why don't we discuss covenant? Because covenant is for right now. And right now, we're under the new covenant, which is built upon better promises. It's a better covenant than what they had under the old covenant. It's got better promises than what was promised to them under the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ came along, if you know your Gospels, and you should, because we're not antinomianists who say don't read the red letters like morons and heretics do, the hyper-graced ones. The hyper-graced heretics are saying don't read the red letters. They're not written to you. Those guys are going to hell. Anybody that tells you don't read the red letters is going to hell. How can you deny the red letters? That, that's the gospel for us. Yeah. If the Old Testament had the promise of provision, Jehovah Jireh, and the promise of healing, Jehovah Rapha. So what do we get? Dregs? Leftovers? What, what do we get? So Jesus Christ gives us a better covenant, but it, it excludes provision. So we work our fingers to a bone without any promise of divine, supernatural help. And again, I come back to if God doesn't want you healed, if you don't believe in healing, don't ever go to the hospital. We should be protesting the hospitals. They're anti-Christ. They're trying to stop the teaching method of God. How dare they put that golden, that, that, that brazen serpent on the pole to symbolize the healing of Moses raising the brazen serpent that all those that look to that brazen serpent would be healed of the snake bite. How dare they put that on the back of every EMT, every emergency vehicle? How dare they invoke the serpent on a pole? But what they're saying is, look to us, we'll fix you. Like Bethesda, house of mercy. That's what a hospital is, is a Bethesda, the house of mercy. Furthermore, do you know who started the first hospitals? Christians. Because they believed in and I think you do too your body so believes in healing it repairs itself I mean you're not like X-Men mutants aren't you with healing factors where you get a little cut and it gets better fingernails grow out you can lose a fingernail it'll replace itself cut yourself it'll, it'll heal itself you break a bone it repairs itself how can you tell me God doesn't want you healthy well, he wants to, to use it to teach you something. Well, my Bible, I don't know what you study. My Bible says he uses the Holy Spirit, the word and teachers to teach me stuff. So maybe because you're stubborn, lazy and resist God, maybe he has to use sickness on you. But don't go telling me that because I pray, I read my Bible and I study it and I submit to teachers who teach. Years ago now, I had viral meningitis and I fought roving paralysis on and off for five, six, seven days. And, and uh, then the virus got into my heart. I had myocarditis. So I spent 10 days in the hospital, had spinal taps and EKGs and you know, all this. I was, I was a P 
pincushion for a long time. Until they finally nailed down that it was viral meningitis, it wasn't Guillain-Barre, it wasn't bacterial encephalitis. It was, it was, they nailed it down. And I finally came out of the hospital. I was able to start walking again. I had to wear a heart rate monitor for six weeks so my heart wouldn't go into cardiac arrest. And I had a dear Christian lady say, well, what did God teach you through the viral meningitis? And I said, well, I, I learned that there's this layer of cells over your brain called the meningi. And that when a virus passes this thing called the blood-brain barrier, which I didn't know was a thing, your immune system dips and a virus can pass into your brain when there's a membrane there that wants it out. And, and the virus gets into that meningi, it gets inflamed, and that's menin meningitis. And it gets, freaks out, and then you start having neurological symptoms because your meningi are inflamed. And then that can be paralysis or slurred speech or blindness or what have you. And, and then I learned it can go into your heart, and that's called myocarditis, because it's an inflammation of the heart muscle, and that makes you die. They said, no, 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 no. What'd you learn about God? I said, nothing. I learned nothing about God because I couldn't read for 10 days. I watched a lot of movies in that hospital bed, prayed in tongues a little bit, but nothing. I was pretty shiftless. What kind of stupid question is, what'd God teach you? I learned a lot about medical science. Could have Googled it, I guess. I don't Huh. Learn what spinal taps are. And they're, they're no fun. <sighs> this is such a dumb doctrine we have to deal with when everything within us says, God, take care of me. And God says, gladly. So the old covenant, God revealed himself through his names. And to denounce those names is to denounce part of God. I, I'm a man, but I'm a husband. It's one of my names. I'm a father. That's one of my names. I'm a pastor. It's one of my names. I'm a geologist. That's one of my names. I enjoy outdoorsy. That's another one of my aspects. But you start cutting away any of those, you don't get the fullness of who I am. And I'm just a man. If we start divorcing who God revealed himself to be, we're into heresy. We're bringing Christ down from above like the seeker-friendly folks do, and we're making him into our image as it pleases us. Why would you want to denounce the best parts of what we need in the earth right now? I'm all for salvation. We are cursed without Jesus Christ. We have wickedness within us. We are totally depraved without the nature of God. We're of our father, the devil, before we're born again. But that's an inheritance that is to come. Salvation, eternity. Here and now, we have to have needs supplied to propagate this kingdom. So God says, there's a covenant that you have now. And we have rewards both now and rewards in the future. So here in Genesis, go to Genesis 22 real quick. Let's look at Jehovah Jireh. I understand what the SBC was trying to do. I have been a part of ministries that exploited the promises of God and taught things to an extreme. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The water may be muddy, but there's a baby somewhere in there. You want to keep the baby and pitch the water. Genesis 22, verse 14, after the Lord provided that ram, Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is to be said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it shall be seen, or in the mountain of the Lord God has provided. He is the Lord who sees and provides. That is Jehovah-Jireh. That is one of his seven redemptive names. Now, there are other names that are not so redemptive, like the Lord who judges, the Lord who smites, the Lord God of war. Uh, those aren't redemptive names. Those are uh, painful names. They're still part of God's nature. We don't divorce them because they're ouchy to our liberal, our liberal senses today. 
But this is one of the redemptive names, one of the very first names ever revealed about God. He is the Lord who sees our needs and provides. Matthew 6 confirms it. If the Lord will take care of lilies of the field, if he'll take care of the birds of the air, he'll take care of you. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be. Sounds like a promise of provision. Why would we divorce ourselves from that? Because some dingling on TBN exploits the widow over it. Are we going to deny Christ because we don't like the guy on Christian television? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe that's part of that delusional spirit that's in the earth rubbing off on Christian brothers. <laughs> Look at Romans 8, because Romans 8 invokes Genesis 22. Romans 8. So the Lord supplies here in Genesis 22, he supplied a ram, which we know was a type of Christ, that when Isaac should have died. A ram died in its place. We know it's a giant allegory and a type and shadow for the redemptive work of Christ. And so you could, if you wanted to stop there and say, see, well, God sees and provides uh, forgiveness. And he does. He sees and provides for us a, a lamb. He did. But that's not where the promises of the Bible stop. Because he sees our needs and provides. He is forever Jehovah Jireh. Romans 8 verse 32 says, he that spared not his own son. That's an invocation of Jehovah Jireh. He gave us his son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's another promise of provision. I reject the res this resolution we read on the overhead. I reject the notion that there's no provision in the atonement. That is heresy, at worst, biblical ignorance at best. You've refused to study scriptures you didn't like, which everybody does. We have to make sure we don't have that kind of blindness in our own studies. Study the hard stuff. Study the doctrines you disagree with because somebody built a doctrine on scriptures that you won't look at. Everybody has this weird idol called pet doctrine. And it would help you to go study doctrine you don't agree with to see how do they come to that conclusion from those scriptures. If you're not a Calvinist, go study Calvinist scriptures to see how did those Calvinists come to it. How do they look at those six verses? That's a joke. It's a joke. How do they look at Romans 9? How do they look at Ephesians 1? How do they look at uh, the minor prophets in the study of uh, uh, Jacob? Have I loved Esau? Have I hated? How do they come to that conclusion from 25, 30 verses. Study it so you can know what you believe. And then you always settle where the bulk of the scripture is resting. Most doctrines are held in tension and most Christians in this country line up on one tension or the other. They don't find the middle. All right. Philippians 4.19, which we read during the offering, says, my God shall deprive you of all your needs according to his stinginess because he doesn't like you. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's what the resolution says. No, that's a little bit of a stretch on that. Uh, Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all of your needs. That sounds like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and supplies. So we have the promise of a need supplied before the Mosaic law. We have it in the Gospels, and we have it in the Epistles. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every law or doctrine is established. Pretty simple to resolve there. We should use words like provision and supply as opposed to wealth. I understand the health and wealth gospel is what it's been called. Wealth is a relative term. All of you in here live better 
than the places I go in Africa. We just took a vacation. Would you believe it if I told you I easily put over $1,000 on my credit card to eat out? Just for me and my family? Easily. Every meal, wherever we went, was easily over 100 bucks. It's Seattle. It's Bidenflation. It's America. It's expensive. I also just sent $1,000 to Pastor Tom Abungu to feed about 50 widows. That $1,000 was greatly appreciated to him. It fed 50 women probably for about a month. 1000 bucks barely fed my family for five or six days. I'm wealthy. God made me so. But compared to Bill Gates, I'm not. So let's use a term different like provision. God provides what I have need of. The hypocrisy to reject the provision of God in this nation, man, is so gross because your average car is more money than an African will see in a career. And your middle class house is more money than their family will touch in a lifetime. And your watch, your, your Timex, not your Rolex, if you have one, your Timex is more money they see in a month. And the clothes you're wearing, just one of you, unless you're shopping TJ Maxx or whatever, just one of you has on maybe $200 worth of clothing, maybe $300, including shoes. Throw in a purse in there, maybe $500. Just one of your outfits right now is more money than someone in Africa will see in a year. So maybe you do believe in the prosperity gospel. Because are you willing to sacrifice all of that, that you might be spiritual? It's funny. It's easy for these kind of things to be poo-pooed upon while you sit in your air-conditioned GMC SUV with your $1,500 iPhone. Having just put $2,000 in tires on your truck with your $1,800 a month mortgage and you just bought $500 in tickets so you and your kids can go see a ball game. Do you see the point? Do you see why I want to line up some messages and say, you guys need to read your Bible and take a mission trip and realize the perspective on this thing. I agree that there's been egregious perversion on TBN and Daystar and Dove and God TV. Of course there is, because there's greed involved. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There was a famous British ambassador who said in the 19th century, the nations that reject the gospel wilt. Because wherever the gospel goes, civilization prospers. Amen. So it's all relative. It's all relative. Proverbs 10 just write this down. Proverbs 10, says, The blessing of the Lord maketh and adds no sorrow. So I'd rather have the blessing of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 145, 16 says, The Lord opens up his hand and supplies the needs of all living things. These are promises of supply. Has the gospel not prospered the nations that have embraced it? Now what about healing? Exodus 15. Let's go to Exodus 15. Because the two things that this SBC resolution does is uh, it destroys part of what's in the atonement, which is provision and healing. Thank God for salvation. But salvation, being born again, is the beginning of your walk on earth in Christ. And you're going to need healing and you're going to need supply to finish your race. Amen. 
Exodus chapter 15. And if you really believe in that doctrine, exercise it on your children. Deprive them of both supply and health. Don't be a hypocrite. If that's your doctrine, practice it with your babies. Don't, come on, Baptist, don't be a hypocrite. If God doesn't want us prospered, if he doesn't want us healthy, practice that God doctrine on your kids. I've not even met a pagan. Well, in this culture, yeah, okay, because we're in the meth century. Normal human beings, normal pagans who are not riddled out on drugs. Pagan mamas will work four jobs to give their kids better, to supply, to have extra money to take them to get the physical so they can play ball. They'll, they'll quit their job, even if they're going to be fired, to take their boy to the doctor or the emergency room. The boss will say, if you don't come back, I'm firing you. They'll say, fire me, I'll find another job or three to replace it, but i got to get my boy to the emergency room. How come this is in pagans more than it's in some religious folks? This doctrine of God's divine provision of supply and health. When you look at it like this, this is a no-brainer. But then again, this resolution was passed in 15 minutes. The knee-jerk reaction to a true heresy, but you didn't delineate what the true heresy was. Exodus 15, 26. God said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Or Jehovah, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord that heals. I am. I am. I love it. The self, Yahweh means self-existent. I am the self-existent healer. That's strong right there. This was a promise to stiff-necked Israelites who were still struggling with idolatry. How about uh, Exodus 23? Come over just a few verses. Chapter, excuse me. Exodus 23, 25, and you shall serve the Lord your God and he shall bless your bread and your water and he will take sickness away from the midst of thee. At the very least, you can see why folks would believe this. I mean, I know it's crazy, but we would build doctrine from the Bible. I mean, call me crazy, but I don't know. I just, I believe what I read in the Bible. I don't believe experiences because they come and go, but the scriptures haven't changed. I, I was taught to build doctrine from scripture and here are two scriptures. I only need one more and I have a solidified God promise. I've got two scriptures in the same book that says God heals me and wants to take away sickness and disease. I think I could find some more. Maybe. How about Psalm 30? Like I said, my wife's card, our prayer card for healing has over 500 healing verses on it. You think maybe you can build a sound doctrine with 500 verses? There's only 32,000 verses in the whole Bible. When's the last time you read any of them? Psalm 30, here's a prayer of David. Remember the guy after God's own heart? Verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried unto you, and you said, It is not my will to heal you. I cried unto you, and you healed me. How about all of Psalm 91? There shall no evil befall thee, nor any plague come nigh thy dwelling. With long life I shall satisfy thee and show thee my salvation, because you've set your love upon me. It's a conditional promise, don't you think? What about Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals 
all, not all. Come on. He has to use something to teach you with. So you're telling me you want to deny these five scriptures we've looked at so far. Doesn't that make you a heretic when you start denying scripture? Look at your child the next time they're in pain and say, I'm sorry, God's teaching you something. I'm sorry, you broke your arm again. That's on you. Learn. You are not that stupid, demon-possessed, or ignorant. But your doctrine is. If you believe it but don't practice it, you don't believe it at all. Leave it to a denomination, not just the SBC. And not all of them are that stupid. Leave it to religion to teach people what is inherent and biologically known. If God didn't want you healed, why does your body heal so much of itself on its own? I think I could come up with a couple more verses. We got time for them? Sure you do. You're not going anywhere. Leave. I'll call you out as you walk. I'll get you on the four-year TV. How about Isaiah 53, one of those messianic prophecies? For too many Christians, this Bible is just theory. We're not into theoretical Christianity. I want practical. I want applicable. I want scripture, boots on the ground. How, how about this? How many of you have been healed supernaturally, not through doctors? I'm all for, I've been to doctors. I have to go to a special internal medicine specialist because of my medical history and all of my vaccines that are real vaccines, the ones that have like been proven for 50 years without any birth defects or sterilization. I have to go to a special doctor. So I, I'm saying that because I'm not against doctors. Our kids have broken bones. We go to the ER. They know us. We're trying to stop that relationship because <laughs> we take them there because we're not hypocrites in our biblical doctrine. But medicine aside and doctors aside, how many of you have ever been supernaturally healed by only the power of God? Raise your hand. Well, I wish the Baptists would take a look and see that it's not been done away with, or what we'd call the cessationists. And it's not just Baptists. I'm not picking on them. I got a lot of Baptist friends who hear from God and speak in tongues, but they won't tell their other Baptists because they'll get excommunicated. <laughs> Isaiah 53, verse 1, who has believed our report? Well, we're still asking that question this morning, Lord. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him. That's Jesus. As a tender plant, as a root of a dry ground, he has no form nor comeliness. He's not handsome. We don't like the way he looks. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire in him. The Messiah was not a handsome man. When they do these Hollywood movies, they should find an ugly guy. Because that's what this verse says. He's ugly. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That's a messianic promise. Uh, Romans, excuse me, Matthew 8 says after he spent all night healing people, I'll read it to you, you write it down, Matthew 8, 16 and 17. He says, uh, they were brought to him all that were sick. He healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Now, what's interesting is this is a midway fulfillment. That it might be fulfilled himself took our infirmities. We just read that in Isaiah 53, 4. He took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, but he continued healing people for the next two years of his ministry because the one verse that isn't quoted there is by his stripes because he hadn't been whipped yet. 
Then 1 Peter 2.24, if you want to write it down, look at it later for time's sake. 1 Peter 2.24, Paul, uh, Peter says the same thing, that with his stripes, now this is post-resurrection, with his stripes we were healed. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are, present tense, Peter says, were, past tense, pointing back to Calvary's cross. How can you dare say there's no healing in the atoning work of Christ when the scriptures say it's part and parcel, except that you've never bothered to study it? We are healed, Isaiah 53, Peter says we were, by his stripes we were healed. And all through the canonization of scriptures, people were continuing to be healed. And how many of you just raised your hand that you've been healed supernaturally? I like 90% of you had had experienced a miracle. I have, my wife has, my daughter has. We still go to the doctor and we use our faith at the same time. Thank God for it. But it's heresy to say provision and healing are not part of the atonement. You could write down Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of God. He healed all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Healing is part of the work of Christ. 1 John 3 says that uh, he was manifest that he might destroy all the works of the devil. That includes sickness and disease as part of the atonement. From Abraham until the closure of scriptures, canon God has demonstrated he's merciful as a need supplier and a healer of sickness and disease. And we have a better covenant. That's what we started off with. So real quick, what did Christ suffer? He suffered betrayal. He suffered abandonment. He was despised. He was rejected. He was slandered. He was stolen from. His mother rejected him and his brothers did too for a season. He was betrayed ultimately on the cross of Calvary, and then died ultimately. But he was never sick. Nor is there any record of the disciples getting sick. In fact, when they went to Peter's mother-in-law's house, she was sick. Jesus walked in. She gets up. Was there any report of any lack of need in the Lord's ministry? No, everybody was always taking care of them. Sometimes they were prospering. Sometimes it was a little bit leaner, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed beg bread. Promise of provision. People who pass these resolutions don't believe them themselves because they don't live them. You believe in the provision of God. What made our nation the richest ever? The provision of God. Up until recently, all of your Nobel Prize winners were Christians and Jews because of the provision of God, the wisdom of God, the expansion of God upon those minds. Only until the last 40, 50 years did you have a first Muslim and pagan, all Christians and Jews, because of the hand of God. What did Christ suffer? Tribulation, persecution, shame, defraud, death. All those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I give you a lot of verses here on tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, Hebrews 13, 3, Acts 9, 16, 1 Corinthians 4, 12, Galatians 6, 12, 2 Timothy 3, 12. A lot of 12s in there. Uh, Acts 5, 41 talks about us suffering shame. We suffered shame. Now, what's ironic, because I'm kind of going over here, study all those verses. Those are the sufferings of Christ, that we might fill up the sufferings of Christ. What is ironic is that Christians will suffer things they don't have to. 
and reject the sufferings they're commanded to. They will endure things they don't have to, lack, sickness, disease. At the very least, go to the hospital. Fight for the things. Say, Lord, heal me. If you don't think the Lord wants you healed, why are you popping Advil? Learn something from that headache. Christians will suffer things Jesus Christ died to redeem them from. And then the things we're commanded to suffer, persecution, affliction, betrayal, will run from. And what happens is we start silencing ourselves with the gospel because the gospel is what brings the persecution and the shame and the defraud and the, and the tribulation. And I've watched preachers do it for 30 years. Cowards pulling punches. That coward Joel Osteen. What is that old fornicator? Larry King had 19 wives or something. Has an opportunity to tell Larry King, Jesus is the only way, Larry. You old horny Jew, going to hell. Eight and nine wives. And there's Larry King, sincere. Is Jesus the only way? Well, you know, Larry, I, who am I to say? You moron. You're a preacher. You were raised in the gospel, you coward. Doesn't want to f- suffer persecution. Doesn't want to suffer shame. Seeker-friendly movement has taught us to be ashamed of the gospel, to flee persecution. When we live this thing right, when we preach this thing right, they'll come for our lives. You'll be betrayed by your family. You'll be rejected by your family. You'll be abandoned by your family. You'll lose jobs. You'll lose opportunities, scholarships, because you're one of those Christ followers. So the very thing we have to suffer, we're being taught we don't need to because, you know, we want to help the seeker. And the very thing we don't have to suffer, we're being taught you have to. What heresy? What heresy in a 15-minute resolution forever codified, thankfully non-binding? I feel like that's pretty good preaching right there. You're going to fight sickness and disease, and you're going to have lean times. It's part of the Bible's promise. It rains upon the just and the unjust, but bless God, we got promises to beat both of them. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but out of them. Oh, there's that all word again. The Lord doth deliver. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord promised to deliver us out of them all. Amen. Leave it to religion to talk us into being defeated. I reject it. I reject it. I reject it. Amen.